Less than a year after the center said that there was no data on love jihad, Madhya Pradesh Home Minister Narottam Mishra announced that the state government is considering tabling a legislation against love jihad in the next assembly session, which will provide for a five-year rigorous imprisonment. Barely one day after Mishra's announcement, Haryana Home Minister Anil Vijay also followed suit and said that a committee will be set up in the state to draft a strict law against love jihad. And with these announcements coming one after the other, love jihad, which has so far only been a conspiracy theory, may soon be formalized with legal provisions in these states. But Haryana and Madhya Pradesh aren't the only states that are mulling over enacting this controversial law. Other states like Karnataka and Uttar Pradesh have also recently spoken about introducing laws against love jihad. But what does enacting a law on love jihad entail for interfaith couples? If the constitution grants the freedom to profess, practice and propagate religion and to marry a person of one's choice, can states enact a law against love jihad? Does such a law undermine women's choices and religious liberties? In this episode we spoke to Madhu Mehra, a lawyer and feminist activist and a founding member of Law in Development, which is a legal resource group on women's rights, and the Queen's legal editor Vakasha Sachdev. You're tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you, and I'm your host, Shalpuri. The term love jihad has been coined and frequently used by Hindu fringe extremist groups and the whole rhetoric of love jihad comes from an unproven allegation of scheming by muslim men to convert hindu girls through marriages it's been used in the past few years in political speeches and campaigns by right wing ideologues and even top ministers and bjp leaders like upcm yogi adityanath who was among the first chief ministers to bring up the proposition of such a law in a bid to take stern action against quote unquote those who play with our sisters respect as chief minister adityanath said in october just before the state by elections in the same month we also witnessed a social media storm about a jewelry ad made by tanishk whose message of religious unity in an interfaith marriage got twisted into accusations of love jihad but despite such an enthusiasm from lawmakers certain bjp state governments and even social media trolls to put to task those guilty of love jihad The BJP-led central government itself has not only disowned the term in the parliament but also said that there's no basis for it in reality. In February 2020, Minister of State in the Ministry of Home Affairs, G. Kishan Reddy had said in the parliament that there was nothing defined as love jihad under the current laws in the country and that Article 25 of the Constitution provides for the freedom to profess, practice and propagate religion subject to public order. He also said that no case of any love jihad had been reported by any central agency either. And there have been several investigations since the late 2000s to look into attempted forced conversions and marriages. In 2009 for instance when the Karnataka CID started probing into this matter prompted by a high court order on a marriage between a Muslim man and a non-Muslim woman the CID eventually said that there was no organized attempt by any group 
to quote unquote entice girls or women belonging to Hindu or Christian religions to marry Muslim boys with the aim of converting them to Islam. In Uttar Pradesh as well, several cases of love jihad had to be dismissed as there was no evidence to support it. In fact, even as NCW chief Rekha Sharma met with the Maharashtra governor Bhagat Singh Koshyari to discuss love jihad, in response to an RTI query, NCW said that it doesn't have any data on love jihad. So then who is this law meant for? Who does it target and who does it benefit? Unfortunately, even without any legal backing or any evidence to support this conspiracy theory, The love jihad accusation has often been used to harass interfaith couples and vitiate interfaith marriages specifically between Hindu and Muslim couples. If you remember the Hadia case from Kerala that became a political issue in 2017, the matter even got dragged to the Supreme Court. All because Hadia formerly known as Akhila Ashokan had converted to Islam to marry a Muslim man only to have her parents accused that this was a case of forceful conversion or love jihad while the case was being heard in the court Hadia's father had alleged that Muslim organizations were planning to take his daughter to induct her within the Islamic state and so even as the Supreme Court was forced to direct an NIA probe into it the agency found nothing and the court recognized Hadia's marriage in 2018 So then if article 25 and 21 does provide for the freedom to profess religion and the freedom to marry a person of one's choice can states enact a law to prevent what they call love jihad is it even constitutional does it not undermine women's choices or citizens personal and religious liberties does it not stand to be misused and harass women and minorities madhu mera vezin absolutely because already what we see is extra legal uh, and uh, uh, you know agencies like uh, you know like the right wing uh, groups of different uh, um, different communities they are very vigilant about who's um, who's proposing to get married and then they hound these uh, hound these couples even where families are willing to uh, and there have been enough news reports on that even where both the girl and the boy's families have blessed the marriage and are willing and are, you know wanting to uh, organize the marriage under special marriage act mm. there is this pressure from the community uh, and the pressure turns into threats and can be violent so um, so now with this whole proposal that there is a law on love jihad means that instead of these extra legal bodies uh, or agencies playing that role the state itself will play that role mm. where the state will now sort of interrogate whether you uh, whether you have coerced people or whether you have uh, uh, you have sort of uh, you know converted willingly and one wonders who are we trying to trying to who is the beneficiary of this this proposed uh, uh, this proposed law um because really if they are concerned about women uh, then there are many other matrimonial issues that have been crying for attention for a long time um uh, there's been the issue of matrimonial property rights uh and so on with there are very clear gaps in law which if uh you know the the uh, they were concerned about protecting women within marriages they would work in a different direction now if it about intercommunity and intercaste or interfaith marriages only why i mean i would ask why is it focused on only hindu and muslim marriages where the girl is uh, hindu and the boy is is muslim that 
where the rhetoric of love, love jihad seems to arise from in the popular discourse. There's nothing in law about it, so I I can't even uh, I can't even refer to any sort of legal um, uh, you know reasoning given behind this. But since it is there in the popular discourse, why should it? Um, this is something that people uh, people who are getting married. Uh, it's part of their personal choice. It's, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it pleases their parents or whether it pleases the community or it displeases them should not be the concern so long as the conditions for a valid marriage are, are, um, are present. But before states started proposing laws against love jihad, it was the court that set a flawed precedent. Recently, in October, the Allahabad High Court dismissed a writ petition filed by a married couple, a Muslim woman and a Hindu man, who were seeking police protection from their families and instead observed that religious conversion just for the purpose of marriage is unacceptable. In his judgment, Justice Mahesh Chandra Tripathi noted that the woman was a Muslim who had converted to Hinduism just a month before she got married. And the court referred to similar observations made by the same court in 2014. In separate instances, the Uttarakhand and Rajasthan High Courts had observed that laws need to be enacted to prevent quote-unquote sham conversions. And Vakasha explains more on how official institutions have in the past tried to plant the seed of the idea about a law around love jihad or the idea of problematic conversions. So I think, you know, uh, the Allahabad High Court's recent order was a very, very good example. You had a case where the Allahabad High Court held that, oh, we can't give protection to a couple which had come. It was an interfaith uh, couple had come to them. They were saying we need protection from the police and from, uh, you know, people who are uh, people in our society who are out to get us. Just think of what's happening here. They're asking the court for protection. The court says, oh, but we think the marriage here is a sham, so we're not going to give you protection. I mean, it's it's so utterly perverse that it beggars belief that a court, that a, that a judge of a high court could even think that this was acceptable. The ironic part, of course, is that in this case, it wasn't even your classic case of love jihad, uh, you know, in, in the way the, the, the Hindu right has created the idea. It was actually a situation where instead of where it was a Hindu uh, man who was uh, trying to who, who who was in a relationship with a Muslim woman. Now the whole problem is though that once this narrative, once the court comes in and makes a statement like this about sham marriages, the people who are looking to misuse this don't care about the facts. So within a day, you had Yogi Dityanath talking about how this was uh, that the Allahabad High Court is itself giving sanction for the idea of a love jihad law based on this case, even though this case really had nothing to do with the narrative of love jihad. Uh, and this is not something which is only what happened here. 2014, uh, the Allahabad High Court had done the same thing and it was based on that uh, judgment from 2014 that this 27, that this recent order was passed. Now, the problem is that with both this one and the old one, they, they've, they've sought to create a sort of legitimacy for what they're saying by referring to a Supreme Court judgment from back in the day in Lily Thomas's case. But actually, Lily Thomas's case is again a completely separate issue. There it was dealing with a situation again where a Hindu man was converting to Islam purely because he was using this as a way to, to you know, be able to have multiple wives. And that was the reason why forced conversion, why a sham conversion became an issue. Uh, now, the thing is, sham conversions as a concept can 
cannot be interfered with by the state unless there's a question of coercion or unless there is, for instance, as in Lily Thomas's case, a situation where someone's trying to commit bigamy using it, you know, where they're using that to 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 try and, uh, you, you know, get around restrictions on the number of wives or, or marriages one can have. But otherwise, uh, your Article 25 right is pretty strong and pretty wide. But again, this has just been ignored by courts over the years. You see this uh, with the Rajasthan High Court and the Uttarakhand uh, High Court um, passing orders back in 2017, where they were again insisting that, you know, there have to be laws against these kind of uh, sham religious conversions. They put up, they, they were requiring guidelines, like the Rajasthan High Court set out these detailed guidelines that anyone can object to your wedding. And I find this absolutely bizarre. Because now, India has a special marriage act of 1954 to facilitate interfaith marriages in civil weddings. It was a part of a series of reforms to personal laws in India that Jawaharlal Nehru had made a priority. The SMA was meant to be a legislation to govern marriages that could not be solemnized according to religious customs, which essentially meant interfaith or intercaste marriages. While the SMA does provide for this, it is a cumbersome process that forces many couples to opt for religious conversions rather than going through the legal rigmarole. And Ms. Mehra asks that if states are so concerned about interfaith marriages and women's rights, why not simplify the SMA? And the point is, if the state were concerned about patriarchy, uh, surely uh, there is not the the impulse. The impulse is on a very limited point of um, Hindu girls converting uh, uh, on marrying a, a Muslim man, and uh, and I think there is a problem here. But you see, people cho- choose to convert for various reasons, and they choose to marry for various reasons. These are personal decisions. You may not like it, but uh, but you know this is uh, um, uh, uh, this is not forcible conversion. This is conversion out of uh, choice, out of you know uh, adopting uh, whatever is in the matrimonial home. The only way to counter this is to make special marriage act more flexible. And we know so many people who opt for. Uh, religious-based marriages only because Special Marriage Act is not accessible to a lot of people. Mm. The fact that you have to put that one month's notice and you have to be in that city, I mean, that those are big impediments. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to the Big Story playlist for episodic updates. We'll have on Apple, Google Podcast, Spotify, GeoSavan and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section. For any feedback, shoot an email to podcasts at thequinn.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quinn's website and check out our other podcasts.